Saints are here. What's the bad news? He was torn apart! Off his head, like a gingerbread man. Welcome to the premiere episode of Don't Open This Podcast, your guided tour into terror. I'm your host, Tim Fanoia. And I'm your host, Mike Falsigno. And today we're going to let you get to know your tour guides as we discuss our love of horror and why we needed to do this show. I think that's a smart place to start. Also, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And I, I do feel that you guys should know that Tim and I, we are two different people, but we both are not the gatekeeper type. We, we genuinely love this stuff and we grew up with it, but we're also not overly gushing fanboys about it. And we can point out when a film hits a lot of those points and it's entertaining, but maybe not perfect. Nothing can be perfect, as everyone knows, and that certainly applies to the horror genre, especially when you've got budgets to take into account and maybe uh, a director wanted to have a great team of actors but couldn't afford them or didn't find them. So um, we're going to kind of touch on those elements while also trying to give you guys some decent information on the history of where all these films came from a little bit of context as to what genre we're talking about yeah because like mike said it's a case of like we we've talked about this before mike it's if your favorite movie is one that i don't really care for more power to you like i'm just excited that people like the genre like if your favorite movie is bloodbeat terrific I'm glad that that found an audience. I'm not going to be rushing out to put it on like my top 10 list, but I appreciate that you guys are checking things out. So that'll be kind of our goal throughout this of getting a little bit of introduction to things while also hopefully for any of the people that are more experienced in the genre, being able to still find some things that are maybe ones that you haven't heard of, maybe ones that you haven't really checked in on in a while. I also think a a good barometer for people that are just tuning in is that Tim and I definitely look at what a film is trying to achieve. And I think that is a major point in a lot of reviewers out there that, that they miss. And that's the fact that a film like The Toxic Avenger is not trying to achieve quality cinematography or an engaging storyline beyond fun. And that film is sleazy and entertaining and never boring so with that in mind i i would judge a film like the toxic avenger on a completely different set of standards and expectations than i would judge a film like maybe the shining or or um, a film that's trying to create atmosphere and build tension and scare the shit out of you it's if that's what a film appears to be trying to do but it's never doing it 
that it's kind of failing at its goal. And I do think that's something to keep in mind because you might hear us talk about a film where we're both loving it, but we're also going to let you guys know what type of film to expect because not every type of horror film is for every taste, as everyone knows. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I feel like some people watch horror films maybe to escape the the boring element of their lives other people might watch horror movies because they like that adrenaline rush of of being scared like a roller coaster thrill kind of deal and then there's people like me that absolutely love the artistic freedom that's offered by horror sci-fi fantasy genres i i like to see atmosphere and design and uh i absolutely love crazy um creative kills and and bloody horror effects but I kind of look at them more as a sleight of hand trick where if I'm watching a film and somebody gets killed in such a way that I can't even figure out how they cut that together or what part was a makeup effect and what part was done after the fact, that's partly what I really enjoy about those aspects of horror cinema. I think you would agree, right, Tim? Yeah, I think I don't know if I've ever talked about this on um, for anybody that listened to my other show. Um, screen refresh. Growing up with horror, I hated it. I didn't like it as a kid when I was young. And it was something that my brother was into, who was my older brother. And then as he was getting into horror, I wouldn't be able to watch it because it kind of was, at the time, frightening to like a five, six-year-old. So I would sit there and I would find like gateway horror, like uh, Mr. Boogity or something from Disney. And I would keep watching it over and over again until I kind of desensitized myself to it that then I can start appreciating the rest of it and just watching it as an enjoyable film. But now, after consuming as much as I can find over the years, it's a case of I'm always searching for that movie that will break through the desensitized part of me and be able to <laughs> still kind of add a little bit of like a spook or a uncomfortableness, which is tough to find so i'm always searching for that kind of high from when i was uh, a kid again so i kind of need to ask tim as a young kid what was one of the few horror films that that stuck with you that made you afraid to walk like past an open doorway like what what really grabbed you and just terrified the shit out of you as a kid i mean as a kid the first movie was the original evil dead because we had watched Army of Darkness because it was always on USA Network back in the day. And we loved it. My parents loved it. They loved Bruce Campbell from like at the time he was on Xena Warrior Princess and everything. So they decided one day, oh, we'll buy the VHS for uh, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 because evidently those were the first two before Army of Darkness. And we'll sit down, we'll watch it for like a family movie night. And at the time I was loving Army of Darkness and I was think it was like nine or something or eight. And Evil Dead is a very different from Army of Darkness. So that kind of traumatized me as a kid for a while until I can finally like that was the challenge is build myself up so I can go back and watch Evil Dead like a, a year later or whatever the case was. But that's the one that got me as a kid. Well, Evil Dead is an assault on the senses for, for anyone who is not familiar. This movie was made with pretty much no money over a very long period of time. And it's one of those films that it's so gritty and so immediate feeling that you kind of feel like you're watching a documentary, even though it's got demons running around and attacking people. So that isn't the case. But 
I could see you watching something that raw compared to the polished, um, you know, here's some horror music and a green light pops on and there's a monster versus uh, a guy screaming his head off and running around covered in dirt, being attacked by demons. That, that film, that film freaked me out when I first saw it as well. Because like you said, I think it's a case of the budget worked in its favor because if they had a higher budget and if that was like a cleaner, slicker movie, it would not have worked as well as it did because there was something that was just enough grit to it um, or a little bit of dirt to it that it ended up adding to that discomfort of this seems a little bit off the entire time. And that's one of the reasons that it ended up sticking with me. I think there's a lot to be said for uh, ingenuity being forced because of a low budget because um, my dad sort of raised me on the Universal Monster movies, all the classics. And uh, one of my earliest memories with him is that these films would get played on public television at around 10 or 11 at night. And I was probably in like first grade, maybe even kindergarten. Um, and he would put me to bed around seven and then wake me up and we would watch you know, Frankenstein or Dracula. And most often I would fall asleep before the films were over. So I kind of would wake up the next day imagining how they ended and, and really wanting to see how they ended. And then in my youth, I'm being 46 years old, the video store boom was was huge at my most formidable years. So I would sort of uh, beg this woman that owned a place called Gem Video, a little mom and pop store. I would beg her to let me rent R-rated horror films that I really should not have been renting. And I can vividly remember riding my bike with my paperboy sack to the video store and then sneaking back home with these videos in that bag. And I would watch them usually by myself. And it, if it blew me away, I would invite my friends over. But The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, 1974, that film is so grainy and so disgusting to look at that... I will never forget watching that film. There's a moment where Leatherface makes his first appearance and he opens up in a doorway. He smacks this guy with a sledgehammer and there's these pig sounds like squealing going off and the guy's feet are, are bashing against the metal um, entrance to the doorway and Leatherface just keeps whacking this guy and he pulls him into this hallway and slams the door shut. I could distinctly remember this feeling of, oh my God, I hope my mom didn't hear all that. And I hope she doesn't come downstairs <laughs> because I knew I should not be watching this film. I mean, I had to be maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, oh, wow. But but it made a mark on me where I, I guess that might be why Leatherface as an entity is probably one of my favorite horror movie icons. But, um, but yeah, that film, it, it blew my socks off and it was made for next to nothing. And I, again, I think... That has a lot to do with this um, horror cinema in general. It's an avenue for creative people to actually make money off of their idea. And a lot of times they don't need the budget for, for that gloss that a lot of other films have. If you're someone in your 20s wanting to, to make a film and maybe make an impact or make some money, the chances of you making a decent action film are next to none. But uh, a lot of the, the cornerstones of modern horror were, were made for pennies on the dollar. And through ingenuity and, and sheer creativity, they made something that sticks with people, you know, decades later. 
I, I think a lot has to be said for that, especially the, the way horror films, I don't know, I feel like they used to be looked down upon a lot more maybe than they are now. But I, I sort of look at the Mona Lisa as an artistic icon that has lasted for, for years and years. And you can show that painting to just about anybody in the world and they'll know that it's the Mona Lisa. I also could look at the Frankenstein monster, the Boris Karloff incarnation. Yeah. And when you think about a film made in the 30s with one guy putting a bunch of cotton and, and latex on one actor and those two people helped create an image that is so indelibly burned into people's minds that you could probably go to just about any corner of the globe, show that photo, someone will know that's Frankenstein's monster. Someone will know that that's Superman. You know, the, these are things, again, that they're not taken as seriously by by the upper echelon of critics and, and things like that. But uh, The Exorcist completely redefined, you know, Hollywood in terms of the way it approached horror films as a as a bankable property. So horror as a genre more than anything is most at home with being <laughs> under budget. Just for the fact that, like you said, up until more recent years or as time went on, I feel like horror films were always the the underdog in terms of what's going on at the theater, what are producers willing to back. If it ends up being lightning in a bottle and then they turn it into a franchise like they did with like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, then sure. But every single movie coming out for horror in the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, they weren't Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, like established franchises at that point. So to get them off the ground or get support for them is a lot harder. So usually it would be a case of they would end up being lower budgets, which is always what surprises me when you would see, I feel like every famous actor at some point at the beginning of their careers started in a low budget horror movie. Uh, I mean, we have... Henry Cavill in a Hellraiser movie. We have uh, Adam Scott in Hellraiser Bloodline. We have Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger in Texas Chainsaw New Generation. It's so many of those things that they just can get them for pennies on the dollar because that's all their budget will allot for. So it's nice to see horror kind of getting a little bit more... Prestigious? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say no popularity because it's like it's... Never been unpopular, but I think it's finally getting the do it deserves in terms of people are willing to put money behind things of like love or hate something like Malignant, like the James Wanaverse. They're willing to put money behind these things now and we get big budget horror movies uh, that otherwise might have been unheard of over time. Yeah, that's very true. I do think that that's partly why I wanted us to do this podcast, because um Again, it's something that you and I have talked in great length about how of every type of, of film that there is out there, or even fandom, there is a voracious appetite for anime amongst anime people. And, um, uh, you know, Star Wars, of course, is it's its own microcosm. It's like a, a universe of people that can, they, they almost live completely in a Star yeah. Wars universe. But you, you have to realize that the, the horror genre it's probably the most collected thing. You know, when you meet a person who loves comedies, uh, they might love comedies and have an encyclopedic knowledge of comedy cinema. But when you meet someone who's like into horror, it, it, it's, it's insane. You could go anywhere 
in any corner of this planet and you will find that hardcore horror nerd that just absolutely needs to have every copy of every film in every version uh, some collect VHS tapes, even though they also have the same movies on Blu-ray. Um, they stream things. There's all these streaming sites. Poster collections are, are through the roof with people. Um, it, it's this being that never fully dies out. The, the, the horror film will go through a cycle that, that's been documented since the dawning of cinema. You, it's people want to see things that they're not going to see on the average day. And I, I really do think that that's a major draw to um, fantastic cinema in general, is that I love cinema in so many different forms. But I feel like if you look at the art form of cinema and all of the different facets that make up a truly successful film, if all of those things are present in a non-horror film, you, you get a classic movie that people love. But for that to come together in a horror or science fiction or fantasy film, you really are maxing out the creativity that goes into uh, scripting because you, you can write anything that your mind can think of. Um, the same goes for the film score, because when you think of movies like Jaws or Friday the 13th, that film score is is almost equally important to other aspects of what make that movie have an identity. You then have the added aspects of prosthetic makeup and production design and lighting. All of those things are present in every type of film, but they stand so important when it comes to a horror film working. They're, they're, they're keystones to that film becoming a classic. And I want to turn people on to all of these different attempts, all of these different groups of people that got together and you can tell that they're all swinging for the fences and not everything could be a home run, but there, there's so much good buried underneath maybe lesser films that, that get talked about more, which is absolutely why we're going to cover a lot of films that don't make those top 10 lists, but, but they really should be on a top 20 list, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> because Tim and I love some films that, that are, are pretty well hated. And I, I can't understand why, because if you remove the attitude that some people go into and you just look at the film on its own merits, there's a lot to be to be gained entertainment wise from some of these movies. Um, I know that we're going to cover essential lists because we really want people to have a lot of content that they can go out and watch and and sort of figure out here. Here's five or six films from a subgenre that we think are quintessential examples of this subgenre. So if you watch those and you really don't like any of them, then you probably won't like that subgenre of horror cinema. What are a few of your favorites that you're looking forward to as far as corners of, of the horror world that we're going to talk about? So, I mean, I like slasher movies. It's something like a warm bath. Um, I don't know why. I think it's just growing up having a love of like Friday 13th, the Halloween series, like all of that, it's become so ingrained in me that just to me, like watching a slasher movie is just, it's, it's just standard. Like it's the vanilla and chocolate um, as far as the, the, the flavors go. It feels like Christmas morning, but yeah, with a body part in the stocking. Yeah. It has that it's, feeling. <laughs> Cause it's usually a case of even when they're bad, like, 
I'm still fine with that. But what I've been creeping into more over the years is body horror films. And I think it's specifically just because it's one of the few that creeps me out or like kind of gets to me. So it's one of the ones that it's like you have a, a bruise or something and you just poke at it and it still hurts every time, but you don't know why you still keep doing it. That's body horror for me is I don't love the feeling of most of these movies, but I still keep seeking them out just because it's the only thing that still gets under my skin. No pun intended with a body horror movie, but still. Well, going back to some of our initial conversation, anyone listening, this is for you in terms of what I'm going to try to sum up right now. I'm sure that there are a decent amount of people listening that know all of these subgenres. They, they know what they're about. They've probably seen hundreds of horror movies. But I feel like there's also going to be people listening that really don't know much. They know that they like feeling scared and they like seeing crazy shit happen on screen, but they might not know what some of these films are that we're talking about. So I, I do want to reiterate that if Tim and I are going to do an episode on body horror, expect us to quickly touch on some of the tropes and, and the basic um, aspects of what, what body horror is. Uh, for instance, it's a type of horror film that usually deals with, it's very self-explanatory, um, things mutating and happening to the human form. So if you've ever seen The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, where he slowly starts becoming a genetic amalgamation of human and fly, that is body horror at, at probably one of its purest examples. Um, yeah. So we are going to dive into things and we want people to walk away with an understanding of what we just talked about. But we also don't want to overload uh, each episode with, with so much technical information that it literally bores people because that is a tough thing about the horror genre. There's, you know, a hundred years of, of cinema to cover. And I guess it, it, it could get very... Um, I mean, it's easy to get lost in the weeds there. Yeah, I guess that's a good a good way to explain it. And, and we want to point out directors and we want to point out reference other films, but maybe give you guys uh, stepping stones to build on so so you kind of understand the cycles of the horror film and how you, you might hear all the time that 90s horror sucked. It was the worst decade for horror films. It's garbage. We kind of want to talk about why people perceive that, but also how there really were some great films being made in yeah. the 90s. It's just that, you know, a, a film comes out sometimes that makes so much fucking money that studios and producers start forcing filmmakers to kind of adapt their idea to be more like what just made money. Uh, Scream, which is very topical right now because the new Scream just came out. Scream's a perfect example. That is essentially a slasher movie. And it was made by Wes Craven, who made a lot of uh, a pretty sleazy, low-budget horror films prior to Scream. Scream is something he made later in his career, and it pulls in that whole meta aspect of referencing the material that you're talking about and, and working these little in-jokes in and, and winks to the audience. It's a good film, but that film made so much money that it kind of reshaped the next boom of slasher films. If you watch an 80s or 70s slasher film compared to Scream, they're very different movies in, in the way they're presented, even though they're the same basic storyline. 
but they're presented in this glossy manner that all slasher films for the next decade kind of ripped off or adopted that vibe. Urban legend. Valentine. Scream 2. I know what you did last summer. It's scarier than Scream. And it makes for kind of an odd moment in, in, in horror history. You've got all of these films like I Know What You Did Last Summer and, and things like that where everyone is extremely attractive and polished. Their hair always looks perfect. Uh, th- there's a lot of chasing, but yeah. not really a lot of, of killing. You, you see a lot of like aftermath kills. And for lack of a better term, it's sort of a watered down version of a slasher. A lot of people might do a podcast where they, they bitch about how that ruined slasher movies, but there's a pro and a con to that because it also generated interest in slasher films. And I feel like a lot of those older films that we love got some extra press and a little bit more recognition. I, I always laugh when hardcore horror fans get pissed off about a remake. I usually get excited about a remake because it means one thing. It means that a nerd like me will finally get a special edition Blu-ray of the old movie that I love because that always happens when there's a remake of, of an older film. So back to you, Tim, because I got off on a ramble there. I apologize. No, yeah, like I agree. And plus it's a case of, especially with remakes, it doesn't delete the original from like existence. So if it's good, hey, that's terrific. Like we got a remake. Nobody went into John Carpenter's thing saying, oh my God, like, why are we redoing Howard Hawke's uh, thing from another planet or whatever the case was? It's, we got a readaptation of it and it turned out to be terrific. Not all remakes are that, but at least we'll get something out of it. Or if nothing else, somebody will watch it and say, I wonder if the original was any better and might give it a shot and find that. So we'll do a whole episode on remakes as time goes on. The original question of, horror is the the concept why are we doing horror i know i had mentioned to you before we talked about joe dante's movie matinee and in it john goodman plays kind of a william castle role he's kind of a b-movie horror producer and he talks about how back in the caveman days a zillion years ago a guy's living in the cave he goes out one day bam he gets chased by a mammoth now he's scared to death but he gets away and when it's all over with he feels great well, yeah, because he's still living. Yeah, but he knows he is, and he feels it. So he goes home, back to the cave. First thing he does, he does a drawing of the mammoth. And he thinks, people are coming to see this. Let's make it good. Let's make the teeth real long and the eyes real mean. first monster movie that's probably why i still do it make the teeth as big as you want then you kill it off everything's okay the lights come up (sighs) and that's what we're trying to kind of carry away with for all of the fans is it's controlled terror it's being able to be frightened it's being able to be disturbed but knowing that you're safe and at the end of this when you walk out you're perfectly fine and everything is back to normal from there. So I think that's one of the driving things with horror for everyone. Yeah, that does sum it up in a nutshell pretty well. The time I've spent on this planet, the the amount of amazing people and relationships I've formed strictly through 
the love, like a mutual appreciation for horror cinema is, is kind of astounding because, um, you know, I'm hanging out here with Tim and I met Tim pretty much through horror films. He, he worked at a blockbuster. I walked into a blockbuster. We struck up a conversation and before you knew it, we were just gushing back and forth to each other about all these great horror movies that our friends didn't really know about, but we were these two strangers that liked the same things. Um, I have a very good friend named Tatiana, who I met in a uh, horror section of of block of um, Best Buy, um, again, around probably 25 years ago. And we have been extremely close friends like ever since then. And that goes on and on. My, my friend Reiner, who, who lives in Germany, you know, I've been to Berlin to spend time with him. He's come over here to spend time with me. And we met through a mutual love of horror cinema. And all that camaraderie and friendship that came out of this era of film, the idea of taking all of this really in-depth knowledge that we've slowly gained over the years just from the amount of articles that we've read and the amount of film commentaries that Tim and I have probably sat by ourselves listening to. It's stuff that we've retained and we adore what these people have made. And the idea of sharing all of that with a bunch of strangers, I I don't know how to put it into words. It's It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I know we've got some episodes lined up. We're going to do director episodes that go deep into one particular director and we're going to we're going to talk about their lives a little bit and then break down uh in small little little bursts every film they've ever made and how we think those films land on a maybe a scale of best to worst kind of thing we're going to do some deep dives into franchises and do some ranking on that stuff because People seem to like rankings. I'm a sucker for a list. Yeah, it's true. I am. If you want me to read an article, all you have to do is just tell me like, here are the top nine or like, here's the five whatevers and I'll take a look at it. Yeah, Tim and I worked out uh, Passport to Terror, which will be us centering on a country and uh, covering like maybe 10 of our favorite horror films from that particular country. I, I think that could be pretty interesting for people. So I, I think the idea of the Passport to Terror is going to be cool just for the fact that there's a lot of stuff that's terrific out there that might go unnoticed just because unless you're actively searching it out or unless it happens in this day and age to pop up on a streaming site or something and catch somebody's eye, you might not necessarily notice it. So I think that'll shine a nice light. I agree. Plus, um, you know, people that are newer to the genre kind of have it made right now because uh, I know when we were younger, it was a search to find... Sometimes you would read a blurb about a movie in a magazine and then just try to find that movie. And it could take years to find a copy of a VHS film. Some of these films weren't even on VHS. So you it was a lost film that you never, you wouldn't see it for a decade. And when you finally did, you you built it up to be so good in, in your head and it was a total piece of shit. And that, that, that a lot of times was a letdown. But, <laughs> uh, but people now, I mean, you've got curated streaming sites like Shutter, you've got everything from Netflix to Amazon Prime, plus all these boutique labels that are putting out really gorgeous physical media versions of some movies that would not even get looked at, uh, you know, back 20 years ago. So I do think that's cool, too. Um, I, I think we're going to try to give you guys resources of if we cover some films, try and give you a direction of 
if you're a physical media collector, some of this stuff is available to own. And if you're just a streaming guy uh, or girl, I know Tim is uh, very tied into Letterboxd and a couple of these other sites that seem extremely useful. I have this problem where I love to buy things on physical media. So Tim will kind of balance out my physical media with his streaming savvy. And I think between the two of us, we'll probably be able to give you a way to watch almost every film that we're going to cover with a few exceptions that are extremely hard to find. But uh, I I think we bridged the the house living versus apartment living um, (laughs) is why I'm predominantly streaming is because I have room for like one bookcase. So physical media, you have to make the cut. You're streaming because it makes sense. It makes sense across the board. I just have this, I don't know. I have this, this love of packaging designs and things like that. And it's, it's hard to get away. Well, plus like the artwork. And I mean, that's one of the things that I loved horror growing up is you would walk through the video store and you would see the covers or see the back covers and that's what would be determined. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily read the back of what the plot was. I would look at it and be like, is this a cool cover? Look at the back. Okay, is that a cool image? Okay, like, I, I might like this if that's the case. Which is something that you lose with streaming, because, I mean, you don't really necessarily get that whole feel. It might just be like one general image kind of deal. But I still love it just for the, the convenience um, of having the room for it. Because I, I know when we originally met, I don't know if, the the fell signal box um <laughs> that you gave me that time when mike and i met uh we had a, a shared love of horror because i was like the horror guy at the blockbuster i was at so we discussed what ones we had and whatnot what ones we liked and then mike came by one time with this cardboard box just with like a bunch of different dvds in it and it was just all ones of if you like this, like here's suggestions, here's stuff that I wanted to share, here's stuff that you should be aware of. And it had stuff like Wild Zero, it had Dead and Buried, it had The Beyond. And it was all of these ones that wouldn't necessarily be popping up at like my Blockbuster. This was before Netflix. So it was just a a treat to just get into the, the advantage of your physical media collection. And I think that helped kind of spur me on even more into finding ones that I hadn't seen before because at that point it was anything I can find at a video store or anything that I might happen to like find online that I can buy through like a an Amazon at the time kind of deal but again that's the fun part of all this and and it really is a backbone to why we're doing this podcast it's it feels great to um to share knowledge that you have and to learn from other people I absolutely love when I put a movie on for a client and they love it and they they spit out two or three films that, that it reminded them of or, or that they think are amazing. And if I've only seen two and I have not seen that other movie, I'm so excited to go and, and seek that out and watch that film. And sometimes there's so much out there that you, you basically would have to have no job other than sitting on a couch and watching horror films to even come close to seeing all of what's out there. And again, that's that takes us back to, you know, this is our pilot episode. It's kind of hard to be focused when we're introducing ourselves because there's so much we want to cover. If you guys are still with us, that's pretty amazing and I appreciate it. I would never ask anyone to smash that like button or smash <laughs> that subscribe button because I just hate when people say that. 
So how about you just calmly hit the like button and uh, and maybe subscribe and you'll you'll know when our next episode comes out because it's going to be right around the corner. And Mike, before we end the episode, do you want to leave everybody off with one thing that you've seen recently that they should go check out? You're going to drop that on me. Um, yeah. You know what? Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright. I don't know why this film came out with uh, so little fanfare around it, just because Edgar Wright made a few uh, pretty big films. I mean, he made uh, Baby Driver, which is pretty close to a perfect film. If you've never seen oh, yeah. Baby Driver, go check that out. He also made Shaun of the Dead and uh, a few other films mixed in. But yeah, I was very surprised with how entertaining and how disturbing not disturbing in a you need to take a shower after kind of way, but it's a grand scale love letter to 60s cinema and, and 60s culture. And uh, it's got some amazing performances in it. And the cinematography, the, the the ride that he takes you on is absolutely amazing. The film, you know, you, there's a twist that occurs that is probably going to be divisive amongst people. It might impact how much you like the film. But you, you can come up with a lot of worse ways to spend an hour and a half. So that's my mention for the week. How about you? I recently saw the Advent Calendar on Shudder. It's a, a Christmas horror. So for anybody that's looking for a more Christmassy horror, um, it is subtitled. So if you don't like reading, that's going to be a problem. But it kind of introduced, it was one of those movies that Every step of the way, I was just very interested in what was going to happen next, because usually it's a case of after you see enough of them, you kind of get enough of the formula, you get enough of the tropes. And it's like, yeah, I can kind of guess what's going to happen throughout this. But ultimately, throughout the most of the movie, it was always a case of I was interested in what was going to happen next. This girl gets this box that's an advent calendar. And every day at midnight, there's a little pop up guy that comes out and says, like, it's midnight, open the box. And then she opens each one and each one she opens, something different happens. But the box has these rules that you have to follow every rule and you have to follow every box. Otherwise, you die. And if you destroy or try to get rid of this box, you're going to die. So she's stuck following the 25 days of this thing and going along for the ride. So I was very pleasantly surprised by it. And I would definitely check it out if anybody has a Shutter subscription, because if you don't, get it it's like five dollars a month and it's worth its weight in gold i have not seen this movie but i do have a shutter subscription and i am going to check it out because that is a pretty interesting setup yeah so i guess that rounds out the first episode here hopefully you guys kind of got intrigued with kind of what we're going to get into overall we're excited for all the things we have planned here we'll have another episode coming out Usually it would be every two weeks, but I think we might do a one-two punch with this. So I think we will get ready for our very first episode, our top 10 list of some unsung horror that you might be interested in. Just ones that might not have gotten the fanfare or buzz or might not have the recognition it deserves. So you might want to check them out. So again, this is Tim Fenoya and Mike Falsigno. And this was Don't Open This Podcast. The See you next time. The pilot. The, the premiere. Pilot. The premiere. Have a good night. Stop it!
you do that for? It's just getting good. I just don't want to hear it anymore, that's all. Hey, come on, I just want to hear the rest of it. No big deal. <laughs>